turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. You know, Paul was also a realist. You know, he wanted to believe the best in John Mark. He was hoping that John Mark would do what he should do. Probably was expecting John Mark to go to Colossae and greet them. But on the other hand, he still reserved that John Mark has not fully proven himself. So he says, if he comes to you, then be sure to do this. And so I want you to know that even with your friends, it's better to put your confidence in the Lord than to put your confidence in people because no matter what, people will let you down. You know, I just quoted a verse in the Bible, Psalm 118, verse 8. Better to put your confidence in the Lord than to put your confidence in people. Here's what a lot of people don't know. If I could take all the Bible verses, all the verses before Psalm 118, verse 8, and then I took all the Bible verses after Psalm 118, verse 8, the very center verse in the Bible is the verse that says, it is better to put your confidence in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. That's a deep truth. It's better to trust the Lord to get to heaven than trust other men to get you to heaven. It's better to trust the Lord to get you to heaven than it is to trust yourself to get to heaven. So put your confidence in the Spirit, which would be the Lord, and not in the man. And so even though he's releasing John Mark, he's giving him another chance, but he's still reserving he might not be able to do it all. So let me ask you a question. Who do you know has offended you? but is really trying to get back going again that you should give a second chance to. Is there a child that you should give them a second chance? Is there a mate that you should give a second chance? Is there someone on the job you should give a second chance? If, you know, I, I want the best, but if they, and try to connect people together. Are you a network person to glue people together? Or are you a gossiper that divides people? Are you those that are going to try to help them come together? He said, if he comes to you, he never once said what problem there was between him and John Mark and Barnabas. Never said that at all. In fact, he united Barnabas, John Mark, and the Colossian people, and he never once said something negative about him. Or right, let's look at number five, the friend who had a strong commitment. His name was Justice. Now, Jesus, who is called Justice, so we'll refer to him as Justice. Uh, These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So I refer to fellowship as encouraging. That probably the best thing we can do is to encourage someone. Now, we can do it by a word, comments, a note, email, phone call, text message. We can give a lot of words of encouragement. Sometimes we can go do something for them, help them out, pick something up for them, loan them your car. Call them up if they missed a homework assignment at school. Something you could do to encourage them or lift their spirits. In this particular situation, he says, Injustice, who are of the circumcision. That person encouraged me. So there was three of them. In the context, it would be Aristarchus, John Mark, and in this case, Justice. I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it, but since it says who are of the circumcision, that encouraged me. That is implying that there were a lot of other people that were not of Jewish background. He is now saying these three part of my Jewish heritage, we work together as Jewish Christians to build God's kingdom. And I thought that was interesting. And so let me share with you from an outside Howley's perspective of our church here, all right? 
When I came to International, I thought that's kind of a cool name. And, and frankly, if I was to start a church, I would like to call it International because I'd like our church to be a mosaic of all different shapes and sizes and, you know, all of that. But when I came to this church, my first thought was this. Now, on the mainland when we do a church, we'll have like a, like a Howley church there. And you might have a bunch of Vietnamese people that will come to the church. So you spin it off and you have a Vietnamese church. Or you might have a Mexicans, a Hispanic group. So you'll spin it off and have a Mexican church. And you'll try to do that. And I got thinking, well, that's maybe how they do it on the mainland. But what I noticed here is we don't do that. We don't have a Chinese day here. We don't have a Korean day here. We don't have a Japanese day here. We don't have a Filipino day here. We don't have a Holy day here. We don't have a Hapa Holy day here. You know why? Because we've all learned to work together, enjoy each other's food, our differences, our diversity, and we truly are international. Frankly, the rest of the world should look upon us, how we look different, we eat different kind of food, but yet we love one another. Even now, me talking about this, you're finally saying, oh, that is right, we, we do have Chinese and Japanese and this and that and all. But you don't think about it consciously, unless you do it consciously, because it's all a part of it. Why is that? Because even though God made us with different kind of ethnic backgrounds, we have learned that we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. Watch this. We have not denied our ethnic background. We haven't given that all up. But what we made at the top of our cake happens to be the beauty of the unity and the harmony that we have. And frankly, we are a mosaic. We do have stereophonic here because we bring the best of all these cultures in as they are filled with the Spirit of God to minister to one another. Now, saying that is still this. While Paul was bringing the body together, he also recognized there still is the uniqueness of being a little bit different. And so some of you right now, you can celebrate that you come from a different background. You don't have to deny it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't put it down. Don't think you're better. Don't think you're worse. Just say, Lord, thank you for making me who I am. So at certain times, you can come together and serve with each other. And what a joy we have here at this fellowship. So again, it's a strong commitment. We're going to encourage one another here. And I hope that we'll do this till the day that we die, looking for people that we can comfort and encourage. Let's go to number six, the friend who had sacrificial service. This happens to be the one guy that Paul decided to tell us a little bit more about him. This guy was known for his sacrificial service. Let me read this passage to you, but I want you to feel what he's really writing here. He uses some incredible words here to describe this guy. First guy, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you. So he's reminding him that he's one of your boys. He's not a local boy with me. He's a local boy with you. He's a bondservant of Christ. He greets you, always laboring fervently in your prayers. Would you circle the word always and then the word laboring? So here's a guy who's laboring for a group of people, his own group. He's a local boy, remember? He's one of the Colossians. And he says, and he's always working, praying for you. I think that's cool. Then it says what he's praying about, that you may stand mature and complete in all the will of God. Now, some of you are marking mature and complete. I'd rather have you circle the word all. He says, I want you to be mature, not in certain sections of God's word, but I want you to know God's word from cover to cover. I want you to be mature. I want you to know everything there is about the will and word of God. So he was really balanced. But he did this, he says, I'm praying for you that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Th this is so cool. This is so rich. What he's really saying about Epaphras is this. Before Epaphras was going to win them or disciple those people in Colossae, he wanted them to be mature in Christ in every bit of the word of God, but he knew that the beginning of that process is if he would labor in prayer for those people. So I'm looking over here at Epaphras, and I'm saying, there's one guy I want to model. Yes, I want you to be mature in all the will of God, but I know that the best place for me to begin 
is to labor to the point of weariness in praying for you. Now, I don't believe it's only prayer, but I do believe prayer is something we do first. So that's what he's praying. He's praying for them to get to that goal. It says here, For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who live in Laodicea and those in Heriopolis. Now, here's what I look when I see that. I look at this guy right here, and I want to be like Epaphras. He's praying for his local boyfriends. He says, I'm praying for them that they would be mature in every bit of the will of God. But Epaphras was also one who wasn't only just thinking about local. He was also thinking about global, we might say. He picked two other cities. So really, he wasn't a local boy. He was a global boy. So he's looking local, and he was looking out. I was young in my ministry, and I picked about 10 national Christian leaders as my heroes, I would call them. And I spent time being mentored by them. One of them was a man by the name of Robert G. Whitty. Probably means nothing to you. He died at age 100. He was the founder of Luther Rice Seminary, one of the very first schools to start the distant learning process. In fact, it was known as the Pioneers. So we started in that school early on, and he took me under his wings and taught me about leadership and education and equipping people for ministry and teaching the Word accurately and remembering the, 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 the influence of the Spirit of God in all of this. What a great man. So... We had to do a conference in our college that we had started in Texas. And as he was leaving, I took him out for lunch and brought Carol with me. And, and I said, Dr. Whitty, I don't know when we might have another opportunity like this again, but I want to open myself up at this restaurant in front of you. If you could leave me one thought about my life and what I should focus on, almost like a patriarchal blessing, what would you give to me that I should carry with me? Now, I'm sure that what he's about, I'm going to tell you what he said, but, but what he left with me is something that it has never left who I am. And I think it's become part of the fabric of my history, even in ministry. And here's what he said. He took me back to a passage of scripture where he was using, where Jesus was saying, look unto the fields for their white unto harvest. And so he said to me, he said, Stan, he said, I don't know where God will ever continue to call you. He says, but wherever it is, he says, I want to urge you to have a balance with your eyes. He says, I want you to look with one eye at your current ministry, whatever that might be. You look at the people, where they are, wanting them to become a fully obedient worshiper of God. And you love those people and you give your life for those people. You keep your eyes on those people. But he said, take your other eye and realize your whole life doesn't involve only those people. You keep your other eye on the entire world and where is God moving on planet Earth? And you ask God to help you be where God is moving on planet earth you keep one eye on your local ministry you keep one eye on god's global ministry and you know as i thought about that it's the same thing look under the fields not the field where you are but the fields but you can't look on the other fields unless you're also looking where you're stepping in the field that you're in so i embrace that word i'm not saying that's an added word to the word of god or something i'm just saying that that man of god loved me he was a seasoned quality god-filled worker and he said to do that. I want to pass that on to you that I see that in Epaphras' life. He would be a friend that I would want to know because he started his ministry for other people knowing where he wanted them to be and where he wanted them to go and what he wanted them to know. But he knew it began in prayer. But he didn't just care for those people. He cared for people in other cities. And so I, I passionately say this for our church. There are tremendous needs in this church locally right here. We need more help. We need more workers. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get done. Too few people are doing too much, and I'm very concerned, and sometimes that brings me to a little worry. 
But at the same time, I don't want to just forget about that lost world that's out there. We are going to have our missionaries at their own expense are coming back, possibly thinking that our church is like the good old days were when they were here years and years and years ago when they were going and being launched into ministry. They're coming back looking for vibrancy and health and excitement and passion for God. They're looking to connect with people who care for lost people. Those who want to make a difference with those who want to make a difference with those who want to make a difference. And they're excited to share about their ministry, but they're excited to hear about us. And we can show them the new paint jobs we've done and the lanai we've done. It will be air conditioned by then. But I don't want to just show them a better building than when they left. I want to show them a more passionate group of people than when they left. And I can't do that except for one person. And it's me. And I want to be like Epaphras, caring for people but not forgetting the world. Sacrificial service, tirelessly in prayer, tirelessly working hard for those in need. Number seven, there's a friend who had a sad future. His name is Demas. Now we talked about a couple others that had little bumps in the road. But Demas is the opposite on this thing. It says, and Demas greets you. You might say, what's wrong with that? There's no bad future about that. I put down here that fellowship is disappointing. And here's why I said fellowship is disappointing. Because here's Demas, and perhaps Demas had some of the visual outward marks of a hot, hot person for God. And so Paul has very little to say about Demas, except he didn't forget Demas. There's no reason why Demas can't greet them, and so Demas is greeting them. And so Demas is trying to connect to other people, and so Paul, with a sense of responsibility and faithfulness, tells the Colossian people, Demas over here wants me to tell you that he greets you. Maybe Paul knew some stuff about Demas, we don't know. But we do know this, later on, you're going to find out that Demas, it says, forsook Paul because he went after the world system. And later on, Demas really, I'm not sure, even came back. I can't guarantee that he came back to God. I don't know that. But here's what I'm saying for people like you and me. When you have a friend today, and that friend may be hot for God, it's quite possible that that friend later on will disappoint you. The longer you're in ministry, the longer you're walking with God, you will find someone who will disappoint you. Hopefully it won't be as close as a mate, but it may be. Hopefully it won't be as close as a child of yours that grows up and follows your faith until they get to college and they're gone. And that's why we have conferences so that their faith is strong and they know what they believe and why they believe and not miss a beat of that. But I can't say that. I, I pray none of our leaders ever depart, but they could. How does it happen? I'm going to use an illustration. I think this might be some of the ways it could happen. In the old West days, you'd have the, the cattle that would be rustled. You know, the cattle rustlers come in and steal the cattle. But there are also cattle that would, cattle that would wander away. Those of you who know the history of cattle on the island, you know about the Parker Ranch. Do you know that when they brought some cows over here and they reproduced, there wasn't any cowboys to wrangle those animals? And so what happened, they got so much, so many cows were here, they were destroying the vegetation and the food for the local Hawaiian people. So they had to go after some of that cattle. And then you had the paniolis and all of that stuff. Well, here's how it happens. Cattle are almost as dumb as sheep. So they eat their food. And then they see a little bit more over here. And then go over here. And that's the nature of cattle. They've got to be fed. They've got to have a lot of food and liquid going in them to make them fat so they can turn out to be a Big Mac. So they're eating. Well, while they're doing that, they're getting further and further away and finally they get scattered out. So I'm using that perhaps as an illustration that we might start nibbling a little bit on the world, a movie here and a movie there, an activity here and an activity there, a group of people here and a person over there, 
And we start nibbling a little bit. And pretty soon we have wandered from the depth of our relationships with quality people. We've moved away from the time we should be in God's Word. We've moved away from staying vitally connected to unsaved people, focused on helping them come to know Christ as Savior. And we a little bit of the world. We haven't just run after the world. We just kind of nibble here and nibble there. And maybe that's what happened with Demas. I don't know. I just pray it doesn't happen to us and I pray that it doesn't happen to the dear people here that I love so much. And pray it doesn't happen to me because I will tell you the world is extremely good to be used by Satan to put a lot of good-looking plastic grass out there for me to eat. This is another good one here. We've got two more. These will go quickly. The friend who had supplied a home, Nymphus. Some translation has the word nympha, and the others have it as nymphus. Some it's masculine, some it's feminine. We really don't know exactly. It's hard to land on either one. But there was fellowship is hospitality. Notice it says nymphus and the church that is in his house. And it flips over sometimes based on gender. And I look at that and I say, here's an example of the Johnsons here. We could have said Tess and we could have said Randy and the church that's in their house. I often would tell them that we have International Baptist Church right here in the Poly, but we also have International there in Naval Housing because we had an extension of International there Wednesday and Thursday night. And then we have another International Church in Kapohulu, and we have another... And so we have little churches all over the island. And that's what this couple did. They were very, very hospitable. And I want to encourage us that we would not just think that the Holy Huddle stays here. We come here Sunday corporately for worship, and we need to be faithful, and this is our priority. But on the other hand, we don't neglect occasionally having many churches around the island, chapels or whatever we want to call them, just like Memphis. And who knows, God might spin that group off and plant another church. Praise be to God if that happens. More people we could re- reach. Well, there's a last one I want to end with. And this is a good one. Maybe Paul was ending with this one for a reason because you'll see why in a moment. It says, And the friend who had a special ministry challenge. Maybe he was subtly dropping a message on them like... The Lord is suddenly dropping a message on you and me right here. He says they had a special ministry challenge. Archippus. It says, and he says, and say to Archippus, give him a message back. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So I'm wondering if Paul was in jail right now and he's sending some information by way of his buddies over to us here. And he looks at you and me and we're just nothing but a room full of Archippuses here. And he's saying to us, folks at International, you make full proof of the ministry that God has given to you and you fulfill it. So when I hear that, here's my first question. Do I even have a ministry? What is my ministry here? It is not to sit, soak, and sour. It's a lot more than just waving people when they come in. It's not just a big smile and a hug once in a while. That's all good things. That's kind of like the saturation of people. But what ministry? What are you doing in this church that people are counting upon you to do in this church? What is something that you could say, I have ownership of this? Carol is talking to a wonderful group of ladies, and we're talking about, would there be a family that will adopt the third floor and keep it clean? And Carol said, I'll keep the third floor clean, all the guest rooms, I'll clean that, I'll clean the kitchen, I'll clean, I'll work with whoever, I'll be in charge of that. Is there someone who says, my ministry is to greet people and to make sure the second floor is a comfortable, safe place where people can come and not be distracted, where they can learn about the Lord. They're going to claim the second floor or sections of the second floor, nursery or surgery room or Sunday school rooms. Would there be someone who say, hey, the fellowship hall is mine. I'm going to make sure that people are greeted. They're going to be well fed and the place will be clean and sparkling for everybody. 
My ministry is for the music here, and I'm going to make sure that my heart is full of God as I get ready to select a song and sing and learn new stuff and teach you how to do that. My ministry is the missionaries, and I'm going to adopt a different mission family every year. I, I don't want to give this to you earthwise. You, you and the Lord sort, sort it out, but do you have a ministry? Answer that question. And then, what is that ministry? I mean, do you really have a ministry? And is that ministry the least you can do, just enough to get by? So you can say you have a ministry? Have you stretched? Have you grown? Have you taken on more responsibility? Or are you taking the easy way out? And then, if you've got that ministry and you know what that ministry is, remember it also says, and fulfill it. Perhaps that might mean for us to get alone with God and say, God, give me your creative juices right now. What am I not doing? Where do you want this thing to go? How can I partner with the leadership? What do you want us to do with this ministry to expand it to reach more people? Get excited. You might not be able to have the freedom on your job. Your family might have thrown you into a little bit of a, of a bondage. You can't get further with your family. But I'm telling you here at this church, you've got pastors that will equip you. We'll release you. We'll catch you. We'll do whatever we can. You've got freedom to reach this island right here. You won't find this in other churches. Some are so big, they've got all their politics put together. Some are so small, they're still trying to figure out why they exist. We're the perfect area. And you have been divinely designed by God. Spurgeon was telling his preacher boys in his preacher college this. He said, have you ever read the story of the ancient mariner? And of course they got blank looks back. And He said, it's a story about dead guys that came back on a ship. There's a dead guy piloting the ship. There's a dead guy pulling down the ropes. There's a dead guy that was unfurling the sail. There's a dead guy swabbing the deck. And then he says, and I've known a lot of dead people running churches today. They're dead in the pulpit, but they're still preaching. They're dead doing the deaconing, going to meetings, but they're not reaching souls. Dead in the pews. They come and they kind of do their little stuff, but they don't really have any real life in them. And what he's saying here is, Archippus, be alive. And I come to you and I say that we are a live church. We just need a little direction now. And I'm so excited. He ends this letter with one ending of the verse, and it's so precious. Look at how he ends this little letter. He doesn't just end it. He says this. He reminds them that the salutation in his own hand, he says, I am personally writing this. Then he says, remember my chains. I love that because he's not denying that he's in bondage. He's in jail. And then he ends this, and he says, grace be with you all. Well, folks, I don't think we're any more healthier than when we are around a group of people that are wanting to become healthier and healthier and healthier. We really need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other here. All of you have been divinely designed, and you could add Technicolor and surround sound to our ministry, and we can make full proof of it. He ends as he began. Grace to you. Grace to you. What a great way to end this epistle. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are reminded about Paul here ending a message about others. And that, Father, yes, it starts with a relationship upward with you. But then, Father, an authentic relationship with you will mean that we will build authentic relationships with other people, first who do not know you, with our desire to help them to get to know you. And then to relate with other believers 
properly in marriage and family and on our jobs and to stay connected to you in prayer and then with other unbelievers, wherever we might be, that we need each other. Father, I pray now through the Spirit of God that you would take what we've learned here of the Word of God from the letter that Paul wrote to Colossae, that we would become a stronger and healthier church, that you would be smiling upon us because you are looking right now at our heart and our mind. Are we one to say, we want to learn, we want to be different, we want to change? I want to give you an opportunity to enter back into this prayer in a unique way. Remember, the thing begins with a relationship with Christ first. Do you have one with Him? I don't mean a head knowledge where you know a lot of facts. I don't mean where you're working your way to heaven and doing all sorts of spiritual or physical things to get into God's family. But are you, are you the kind of person that says, I'm a sinner, I've blown it, I've missed it. But I believe that God is a God of grace and mercy and that He bestowed that upon me on Calvary through the person and work of Jesus Christ when Jesus died and He rose again. And that Jesus paid my sin debt for me that I owed that I could never pay. And that He with the kindness of eyes looks at me and will forgive me of all my sin if I place my faith and reliance and confidence in Him. Not just to believe that He was a historical figure that existed but to rely totally and completely upon Him for my forgiveness. My friend, if you do that, you can simply say something like this as you pray. Lord, I am a sinner, but now I am trusting Christ to have my sins forgiven. I'm taking you at your word, Lord. That's what faith is. I'm believing what you said. You'd forgive me if I trusted you for that forgiveness. And I am, so I have it. You don't lie. I have what you offered to give. Not by my works. Is there anyone in here that would like me to include you as I conclude my prayer? But I want to pray for you. Is there anyone in here that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I, I, I am a sins paid for. I know I'm going to heaven. I have a new relationship with Christ. Is there anyone now with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, or anyone at all, that's trusting Christ as your Savior today in here, never done it before? Thank you. God bless you. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.